Hello and welcome to another edition of the NCG Golf Podcast. My name is Tom Irwin and we are, as ever, sponsored by TaylorMade. And I am joined for the last time, 2023, by my co-host, Steve Carroll. Where is the year gone, Tom? Where has it gone? Where has it gone? What are, your, the, uh, what are your highlights, Steve? What are your 2023 highlights? <laughs> um, golf? Uh, yeah, come on. What, what are your personal golfing highlights of 2023? Oh, uh, oh I, won the, um, I won the second day of the annual medal at the York Golf Club in August. I shot 78. I shot two 78s back-to-back in a week, and I won so the got, second day of the medal. So I actually won a competition this year. You've got one W. Yeah, I have it. I, I, as an amateur, like in some of the fields I play in, just the size, like any W is an absolute celebration because it's just so hard to win them. And I'm not banging on about handicapping or anything like that. It's just sheer numbers, you know. And you, it's at Strenny, they get, they can get two hundred in a comp. That's that's a lot of players. So any W is worth having a night out for. And I did. Fair, fair play. I think my year closest to a W was probably third in the company martini. Are you well, still um, <laughs> at, the, at the risk of descending into a handicap debate already? Are you still complaining about the handicapping in that? A hundred percent. I mean, it's just it's just a joke, isn't it? Um, what uh, what was the, what? How's your handicap finished for the year? Uh, exactly where it started. Um, f- funnily enough, I've written about this, so this will come out over Christmas um, because obviously I did that May to October. I put every score in for handicap, um, so I've just been writing up the final results and observations of that. Um, and my handicap stayed basically exactly the same. It started at 10.9, it finished at 11. Um, so it barely, barely moved at all. So for once and for all, I, you will no longer hear me saying I'm a single-figure player shrouded in a cloak of invisibility or something like that. I am now a mid-handicapper, officially. Fair enough. I, I accept it. Best new course of the year? Um, Northwest in Ireland, in Donegal. It was, right. I mean, like for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it was incredible value. I think it cost me something like 20 euros to play it, which was just ridiculous. And two, you know, you, you don't have massive expectations of a course when it costs you 20 euros. And that course just blew me away, both in its setting and in its quirkiness and in its great layout as well. I thought it was just a fantastic course. Is, that, is it a six-holer? No, it's the eighteen hole you played. You played it as well. Did I? Oh yes, the little. Fl- it's brilliant, isn't it? The flat one. Yeah, by by the bay. Yes, amazing, amazing place. Yeah, incredible amazing clubhouse place. as well. Really down to earth clubhouse. Really welcoming. Great Guinness in there. Whole place was just fantastic. That that would be my course of the year. Followed very closely by a perennial favourite of mine, which is Seaton Carew. Mm. Yeah, I've been to both those places this year, and I, I also my best new course of the year if it's not northwest it's a great shot that uh it's st patrick's links at rosa penna um i played that on them played them both on the same trip um and it was incredible like st patrick's links is like an absolute vision of sort of modern golf it's huge like masses and masses of room on the team hugely playable golf course just brilliant 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 design um and i I started my year at seaton carew we'll keep banging the drum for seaton carew shall we it is the sort of the best links north of Lytham, isn't it? Should we say that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair enough. I mean, like I, I, I I've said this on podcasts before. Maybe it didn't make the final cut, so I'm going to say it again. I I'm biased. I grew up in the region, um, but 
if Seton Carew, Hartlepool, and Cleveland were on the northwest coast, no one would ever stop talking about them. No. Um, so we are in that uh, that part of the season when awards are handed out, aren't we? We are, yeah. And we've had some huge news for golf this week. Huge, as Roy McIlroy is nominated for Sports Personality of the Year. Yes, I got you mass- excited. Massive, no, not at all. Um, massive news, eh? Roy McIlroy proposed for a award that no one watches anymore that everyone stopped watching years ago. I, the, I lament the decline of Spotty. I really do. It was absolute fixed reviewing when I was a kid and into my early 20s as well. It was the one program, you know, it was, it, you knew Christmas was here when, when Spotty arrived. It was absolutely fantastic. It was, it, used, it was always on a Sunday night, wasn't it? Um, I have a feeling it was always on a Sunday night, so it, like, ended your weekend. Now they've stuck it on a Tuesday, like, so start for start they're denigrating it um the bbc have got hardly any live sport anymore so who frankly cares what they think about sport um because they don't show any of it certainly don't show any golf do they so mcelroy gets mcelroy gets a nomination probably this year like the one year he probably hasn't deserved a nomination um because apart from winning the race to dubai he's not done as much as he's done in previous years in my opinion you know didn't last year didn't he win the race to dubai and the fedex cup didn't get a nomination, right? So now, and, and it seems to me, Tom, that they're giving him it on the basis of what he did in the Ryder Cup. It is very peculiar, has to be said. Sort of, I always wonder this about sports personality. I, I, I don't really get it. Is it is it an award for something you've done well at in sport, or is it an award for having a personality? I never, I don't quite get it. Never understood that. I've also never understood why the why is there the need to award a sports person who has won a trophy or been paid lots of money and has the respect of his peers and the fan base in their sport, why do you need to give them another award to say, well done? I don't get it. What's, I don't understand what it's for. Well, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to predict the winner. Um, and I'm going to say it because I'm going to Wait, wait, wait. Before you do that, oh, I want to see spoiled, if you can, You've spoiled it. I want to see if you can name the nominations. In 2000, what, this year? Yeah. Well, of course I can because I've, I'm sat looking at them oh, <laughs> on, my, on my screen. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean I knew most of I knew who they were anyway. Um, Did you? Yeah, because the BBC Stuart, print, Stuart the BBC Broad sent a press release this morning. So Stuart Broad, Frankie Dettori. I mean, yeah. Mary Herbs, Fair enough. Alfie Hewitt, Katrina Johnson Thompson, Rory McIlroy. That's it. Yeah. Are you expect? Are we now going through the um, the list to determine their suitability? Are we? I'm just sort of confused. I mean, I just I, I don't understand what's being awarded. I also don't understand why Roy McIlroy's been nominated this year when it just has had the most norm normal. Well, I mean, they're, they're an odd set of nominations. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's clear to me that we've been lacking a bit in sport this year. Um, I mean, like the the most the if you look at the nominations in terms of what people have achieved, um, the most, the best nomination is two. Um, one's Alfie Hewitt, um, who obviously like absolutely dominated um, wheelchair tennis this year. Absolutely dominated it. I think he won seven titles, two majors. Absolutely fantastic um, achievement. Um, three, I'll give you three actually, because Katarina Johnson Thompson won the world Hath- world championship in heptathlon, didn't she? Which is, in my opinion, that and decathlon is like, basically two of the hardest events that you could possibly do because you have to be like almost world class in 
seven and ten different events. And then obviously Mary Earps is the world's best goalkeeper at the moment, isn't she? Yeah, she's the world's best female goalkeeper. Yeah, but I mean, and Roy McIlroy. I don't understand what Roy McIlroy's done any differently this year from what he's done from any of the last twenty odd years when he hasn't been nominated for Sports Personality of the Year. He's just sort of been Roy McIlroy, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can look at this like in two different ways. Like on on the one hand, I think actually this is probably the year. Like it's an odd year for him to be nominated because he's achieved more previously. But secondly, I mean, at least it spares us all the commentators writing those pieces, dreadful pieces every year about like how golf is like omitted from sports personality of the year. Although they'll probably still write the piece about it getting twenty five seconds in the um, in, in in the uh, show. But it feels like that's why they've done it, right? Just to sort of shut golf <laughs> just up. To, just to shut people up. <laughs> um, I'll tell you exactly how pointless uh, non-sporting awards are for sports people. In uh, the Premier League this month, Ten Hag, manager of Manchester United, has won manager of the month. Harry Maguire has won player of the month, Manchester United centre-half. And Garnacho has won goal of the month for that bicycle kick against Everton. So Man United, a club in crisis, have just absolutely swept the board of the non-sporting awards in the Premier League. It's absolutely bonkers, isn't it? Anyway, um, we're going to get... Goal, it, it was goal of the month. It'll be goal it of the season goal, as well. Yeah. What it a goal. It was a good goal, yeah. Um, so we're going to try and talk about live golf. Are you ready for this, Steve? Like, can I... <laughs> I feel like I want to put a pair of comfortable pants on before we get into this discussion. Like, get my live golf pants out. So, so, so because it could be because emotions are going to run high, aren't they? I don't know whether they are or not. I think what I'd like to do is try and have a kind of um, a bit of a sensible look about where we're at. We've obviously had another huge week in terms of news around live golf. Like the the John Rahm signing has obviously blown kind of any other sports deal out of the water in terms of its monetary value. Um, and its impact on the sort of the infrastructure of golf at the highest level, if you to believe what you read online. And there's been just so much hand wringing about um, this being the, the kind of death of professional sport and how people are sort of turned turned off by the sort of grotesque amount of money that he's been paid, and how the sports fan is the loser because we're now seeing kind of a division, a further division in men's professional golf, which is a phrase we're all sort of having to use. I don't know if you've noticed that. We all might have to say men's professional golf just to make sure that everyone understands specifically what we're talking about in case there's any confusion. Um, But I think that there's a sort of more balanced discussion to be had about it in terms of where we're at with Liv, what the world looks like, if there is a deal, if there isn't a deal. how much people are kind of interested in what is happening um, at the top level of golf and, and how much does that, in fact, how much does that really impact on the sport at a grassroots level and and people's desire to get out and play? Um, I've tried really hard to kind of engage with um, the, the sort of sporting narrative about around live um, and the sort of nuances of its team structure and who's in and who's out and the qualification process. So I thought we might try and start there and kind of like, try and have a discussion about where where Liv is actually at as, a, as an independent and sporting entity um what is the state of their roster at the moment like how many how many gaps are there in the current teams hmm i don't know actually i need to have a look i mean i know there are a couple of gaps in the cliques um one because visberg has gone back to the dp world tour hasn't he um i mean we've obviously got these players coming from the promotions event along with andy ogletree um so 
Uh, and now John Rahm and the prospect of uh, a new team with yet to be undecided players in it. Um, when I look at Liv at the moment, Liv's problem is depth, right? It's it's not that they haven't got great players in there. They have. I mean, there's there's five players I think who would um, who, who while they're not Tiger, Rory, move the needle types, they are genuine world class players. So obviously Rahm, Deschambeau. Um, DJ, Cam Smith, um, Brooks Kepka, right? I mean, I, I, like anyone who's arguing that they're not world-class players just needs to get the heads out of their backsides because they are. Um, but then when you take those five players out of live, it gets really a lot more murky. And, and, that, and that's the problem that the league has got at the moment. It's got contracts to a lot of well-known players who are on the downgrade. Now, some of them will get upset that I say that, but it is a fact that people like Phil Mickelson, uh, people like uh, Westwood, people like Poulter, people like Stenson have not been pulling up any trees in Liv. Um, and that they might be, Keimer might be another one, and they might be into the swan songs of their careers. So while they're good names, they're not performing in a way that boosts the profile of the league at the moment. And then, because it's still early days in the league, we've got a lot of we've got some promising amateurs in there who may do really good things. Uh, sorry, ex-amateurs in there who are now professionals who might do some really good things. Um, and we've got some filler as well, haven't we? We've got filler from the Asian tour, right? Um will Ram bring an exodus of players from the PGA Tour DP World Tour to live? I'm not sure. It'll bring some, um, but everyone seemed to think that Finau was laid was nailed on to join Liv, and now he says he's not. Um, there's still some speculation of, around other players. I mean, Tyrrell Hatton's one of them, but until they can get this depth problem sorted out, the league will continue to, in my opinion, just sort of coast along. Um, because it hasn't got it hasn't got that kind of um, uh, rivalry, that kind of Tiger v Rory thing that that obviously doesn't exist anymore now. But people people would like to say it does. It hasn't got that kind of rivalry that you can see when the big guns go together in major events. Um, it's why free agency has been a complete bust on Live this year. I mean, really, the most unexciting sporting transfer season ever because there's no one to move. That's that's the difficulty with it. There's there's no one shifting around because they haven't got the depth. That might change. You know, Ram might um, be the person that swings it the other way, but I I doubt it, and and I doubt that it will happen um, for this year. I think there's there's sort of quite a lot to that. So this business about the sort of lack of depth, um, and I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree, but I, I think there's like, is there any precedent in any sporting? league where all of the best players play in one place and that's something I kind of would like to kind of dig into in a little bit but it, it, for the meantime I think if you just sort of take that point that you just made that there's a lack of depth in live in comparison to kind of the PGA Tour or wherever else in golf I think it's worth sort of trying to like analyze that and is that actually true or not so the four aces golf club um, is made up of Dustin Johnson Pat Perez Patrick Reed and Harold Varner the third, who is a transfer from Range Goats. I'm reading on our website, so I don't think you can argue there's any kind of 
um, lack of depth in that team, can you? Yeah, I agree. But then, but then start going into some of the other teams. Well, hang on a minute. But that's yeah. so that's that's almost ten percent of the field, right? Yeah, so then you've got you've got they, the cleats. With, the with the cleats Jewish... look a bit. The cleats look a bit short-handed at the moment. So they've yeah. got Kymer and Bland right right enough. So that's not um, setting anything on fire. Um, crushers are Deshambo, Casey, Charles Howell, and Lahiri, who I think would would be adding something to all of those players. Would be adding something to a PJ Tour event. Obviously, oh, saw some more than others. I'm not sure. I, I, I think Casey's one of those players that I would have said is on the downgrade. Um, uh, Charles Howell III was an absolute money machine on the PGA Tour. So he was he was renowned for basically, I mean, he did win a couple of tournaments latterly, but he was renowned for going for years and years and years without actually appearing on too many upper leaderboards. Um, and Lahiri is, I mean, Lahiri is a decent player, but not a world-class player. No, but that, so any, but any, any given... PJ Tour event over the last decade would have had p- people who were decent players but not world class players no, who'd be performing but, well in any given week. As I but don't... they would also have had, but they would have also had enough talent to hold the attention in the event. And I, and what I'm saying about Liv, like I'm not criticizing Liv for this. It's a very new league. I mean, there are other things you can criticize Liv for. You know, it's only two years in. But they've got five players that people would want to watch. Like no one's watching Liv to watch Anaban Lahiri. You know, no one's turning on Liv to watch Charles Howell III. That doesn't mean they're not good players. It just means that people aren't watching the broadcast for that. Well, hang on a minute. They've got they've got five players who people nobody will, who in people America is turning on to watch Lahiri or in the UK. But I think there are people around the world who'd be very interested in Lahiri. Um, they're not showing it at the moment on the on the broadcast numbers, are they? No, but I think that's that is a that is a slightly different point. So we're talking about the pro the, the sort of global profile of the players. I'm saying that Crushers has got a lot of profile. Like so for the you can argue all you like about whether Paul Casey's career's waning, but he's still a name that resonates with um, the UK golfer and bearing in mind the age profile of the UK golfer they're interested in the, the players that they're interested in moves pretty slowly so I would say that Casey is someone that your average club golfer in the UK would still want to see playing week in week out um, Fireballs GC is Garcia Anser Chikara and Puig who is transferred from Talk so I don't know what you're saying about those players what, what argument you make about Garcia? Answer was undoubtedly sort of a rising star when he signed, um, and I'm not I'm not sure what I think about the other two. Well, I mean they're the promising young players, aren't they? That live sort of holding out on at the moment, saying that they're attracting these sort of former amateurs who are going to do great things in the game, and they've decided to sort of pitch their tent in live as the way to take their career forward. I mean, there are very good things said about Pugh, and there were very good things said about Chikara, but. Lots of good things have been said about lots of players in the past who've not necessarily gone on to achieve that greatness. So that that um, that that is a when when this all first started, they one of the things Liv said was that they were going to try and create narratives around um, people, unheralded players who were going to be given their head on a sort of on a tour where they could have win life changing amounts of money very early in their career. 
Um, and there kind of is something in that from a sporting sense, like someone getting a huge leg up and kind of being made made a hero of very early on. That sort of thing needs time. Like, so if Shikara is of the pedigree that they hope he is, then he'll need to demonstrate that week in, week out for over a number of years on a tour that is kind of unproven in terms of w- whether it is or it isn't a sort of test of real quality. Although what I would say is live golfers have won the last three DP world tour events. So they're clearly like these people are clearly decent at golf. Like to sort of say that there's no depth to it when you've got people who haven't necessarily pulled up trees on live this season winning DP world tour events. That's hard to sort of argue with. What I mean is there's not world-class depth in it. Um, I'm not saying that the, the people on live cannot play golf. I mean, the DP world, I mean, I, I do think that the, the DP world tour, victories are not an anomaly but these are very weak field events anyway because of where they're being held and because they're co-sanctioned and obviously it's an opportunity for these players to go to go and play in those events and they're taking them now the the south african players who've been dominating would have played in those events anyway because they're in south africa but i'm saying it doesn't have world-class depth not saying it doesn't have i'm not saying it doesn't have good players on it but then, but then Kepka won a major this year, so I mean, and you can't argue against the strength of field that he's beaten, right. beaten he's there. Absolutely, one player who who I've already identified as a world class player. Right, but if you if the if I don't know how many times in total live golfers have come back to compete against the rest of golf, either in DP World events. Um, where there's no sanctions against them or in majors, but they've they've had four at least four victories on those occasions, which must be a win ratio of I don't know thirty percent or something. So there there is an there is I think there is an, a, a decreasing argument about the quality of field for one reason or another. These are the uh, these are strange events that are normally dominated by local players. You know, I'm not sure that we can use end of season DP World Tour events as an indication of the strength or not of live. But you I know, think when you it, when you also add in a major victory into that, then the argument becomes more compelling. Let's move I, on. I, I, yeah, I don't think so um, because we're talking about a generational talent there. Yeah. So now you're into High Flyers Golf Club, which is Mickelson, Steele and Tringale. It's not floating your boat, is it? It's not particularly, no. <laughs> um, the Mickelson thing, right? So, like, goodness knows Mickelson is obviously a man apart on many, many levels. Um, but he's someone that transferred, uh, for want of a better expression, to live for an enormous amount of money and I guess was in many ways the kind of um, canary in the coal mine for the sort of whole thing. And thousands and thousands of words have been written about his um, his role in the whole thing. But from a sporting point of view, I think that type of signing is interesting. So this idea of paying transfer fees for golfers when form is such a flighty thing, um, I find that very peculiar. So if you, if you kind of, if you're making a kind of comparison with football where enormous amounts of money are paid for individual players then there is a kind of almost guaranteed commercial return on that right so Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia they are guaranteed eyeballs because Ronaldo has got his own individual fan base and he sells football shirts I'm not sure that the same is true of golfers so that and I think that is the inherent risk of the whole thing I think the same applies to um, the elevated events on the PGA Tour because you are basically saying six or seven months out from an event right you guys have qualified for our elevated events for next year there's no guarantee that those people are going to be in any sort of form and produce 
golf that's worth watching or golf at the highest level when when those elevated events come round, or in the case of live when a live event comes round. so if you look at um the event last week in bermuda um this the, the scoring was so varied because you had people who were right enough right at the top of their game um who were 15 20 under par but you at the other end of a sort of closed shop event you had people who were double digits over par so it's it's a quite an odd thing that you've removed this kind of jeopardy of qualification from the individual events and from the individual fields by signing people and these people are immune from relegation whereas their form this year for a lot of the team captains a lot of the people who, who live have paid a lot of money for are in no sort of form and that i think is is a stronger argument a kind of against the, the way that the fields have been assembled than saying that there's no depth to it because depth is like a is an arguable thing i think that any golfer almost in the world top 100 could be another one on the, on their day um and that that is the strongest argument against the transfer fees that they've paid well they've paid the transfer fees haven't they to get the profile to get the players in the first place i mean it'd be it'd have been very interesting to see if they hadn't had to go down that route who would have gone there but they've been forced into it haven't they because um because the established toes have been so resistant to it um, but that's that's what I think makes it difficult to perpetuate. Is that what you can't keep buying the person who's in form? The, the, you can't you can't keep buying the hot property because that's it's like a leaky bucket, isn't it? It's like you have to do that constantly to make it stick. Um, the Ironheads Golf Club is Kevin Nart, Danny Lee, and Scott Vincent. So this is that is manna I mean, from heaven for no I depth mean, fans, isn't it? I, I mean, like, where's my remote control? I mean, like, I can't. <laughs> why am I? Why am I not watching this immediately? Uh, and then things pick up again with Majestics, Westwood, Pool to Horsfield, and Stenson. Yeah, like three of whom could have been relegated if they weren't on massive contracts from Live. But watchable all the same. Range yeah, look, Goat, Range Goat, Peters, yeah. Wolf, Watson, and Euleheim. I mean, it's like it's not floating my boat particularly. I think that there's tons of stories in that group of people, aren't they? Like Bubba Watson is obviously eminently watchable. Matt Wolf is like an amazing story of kind of being a phenom and then falling away and he's had lots of mental health issues. Wolf is the narrative in that. Wolf is the narrative in that. Watson's a guy who is now into his 40s, might be on the downgrade, perennially injured. Um, Peter Uline has performed well at Live. I mean, should give Peter Uline a lot of credit for that because he has, you know, whatever you say about how he got there, um, he has performed on Live. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I think, and Pete, Pete is, is, I think, a very watchable golfer with a very, very strong pedigree. Um, I think he went to live in very strange circumstances, sort of took the opportunity when it presented himself. Um, but he's someone that I would definitely look out for if I was attending an event or I'd watch him on TV, swings it great, hits it miles. Um, Ripper GC is the sort of Aussies, Cam Smith and Leishman. Um, what's happened to Cam Smith is very strange, like shooting a couple of 80s um, in Australia recently. Um, it feels like the move there has not helped his golf at all. And Leishman went sort of when he was in very, very poor form. Um, after being a sort of a player with sort of significant major pedigree prior to that, um, so that is kind of interesting. Smash is Kepka, Cockrack, Gooch, and McDowell, which is sort of all over the place, isn't it? In terms of um, what you think about that team, I mean, Kepka's pedigree is undeniable. Someone who I think the live schedule is sort of suited because he he likes to play infrequently and tends to peak for the big events. Taylor Gooch has had a phenomenal season, 
McDowell, goodness only knows what livers caused him in terms of um, personal anxiety and and what the damage he's done to his brand. And his golf has been pretty terrible since he's gone there and has, I guess, been lucky to kind of maintain his place on the circuit. Um, and Cockrack is one of these people that's sort of held up as kind of a figure of fun of... He's like a sort of Grimsby Town type figure, isn't he? When you get relegated, it's you're going to be playing on a Tuesday night in Grimsby. And when people are throwing scorn at Liv, it's often Cockrack's name that comes up. So I think Smash is a very strange team. And then you're into your South Africans or your, your South Africans in Oosthausen, Schwarzel, Grace and Burmester. Um, and there's like interest there, isn't there? You can, that is that to me is kind of like mo- the model for Liv moving forward. Something you can get behind, like a um, a genuine um, national team. You can see how that would generate support. And then your roster is completed by Talk GC, which is Ortiz, Ortiz, Neiman, Pereira, and Munoz. So similar kind of story there, and lots of talent on that team as well. So I sort of I'm kind of hearing the argument about lack of depth, but. I think it's 50-50, don't you? Like, I, like what I'm trying to say is, who do you switch on for there? You know, is is there enough, like, to make people... Bear in mind, right, that in the UK, this is free to air. You can, you can, you can get it on YouTube. I'm sure we'll discuss YouTube later on because people are detractors of that channel. I am very firmly of the opposite view. Um, but you know, it's free to air in the UK. It's not, I don't think it's massively difficult to get, um, on CW in the U S and yet it's not creating great audiences. Now you could argue that does golf in the UK create great audiences anywhere? I'm sure we'll get into some of the PGA tour and DP world tour numbers. Um, but it needs more people. It needs more people of stature. It needs more people of profile. It needs more of those PGA Tour stars to join Ram in going over to live to make it truly legitimate. In 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 a golfing term, I mean, you know, we'll obviously get onto some of the morals, I'm sure, later on as well. I'm just not sure it does. I'm I'm not sure it does. Like when we deb- debating the ball rollback. Um, last week and looking at some of the RNA research about why people tune in to watch sport. People are into the kind of the narrative and the competition. That's why people tune in to watch sport. And this idea that there are golfers that you kind of, that you turn the TV on or keep the TV on because they're playing. For me personally, that number is about two. It's Tiger and it's McElroy. And I would say that the other one is probably DeChambeau two or three years ago when he was like pumped up and doing something extraordinary. Other than that, I'm not sure there's any golfers I particularly look out for or think, right, I'm going to sit down and watch two hours of this because Jordan Spieth's playing or because uh, Brooks Kepka's playing. I'm into, I mean, watching I their, doing... I'm into watching them compete with each other. Um, I think what Liv needs is some space. I think that's the problem in terms of its viewing numbers is there's too many things it's competing with. I guess the other way of saying it is that where does it end? If you're if you're saying that what they need is more superstars, then I, I just don't I don't see that. I don't see that's how that's not how golf works. You can't. Well, in the end, it's going to be how it works because the PGA Tour cannot outmuscle Piff. It can't, right? It can't do it. Um, Piff can buy the PGA Tour a hundred times over comfortably and still have spare change. Um, 
so you know there's there's still all of this turmoil going on about the mergers at the moment and and obviously the pga tour looking at other private in, uh, equity firms to invest in it the pif and the pga tour are going to have to come to an agreement they're going to have to um it doesn't matter um how distasteful that is for people from a moral perspective from a sporting perspective they're going to have to otherwise Live are just going to be able to keep buying players like John Rahm for $600 million. They're just going to be able to keep doing it um, because they've got unlimited resource. Um, and in the end, you know, I mean, like there's been a lot said about John Rahm, about taking the money. There's been a lot written about it. Um, I can only tell you what I would do if someone offered me that sort of sum. I would take it. Well, yeah, hundred percent. And I think so. Just, just to sort of before we get into that, that but just to finish on the roster. So the roster is incomplete, um, and as I understand it, Ram is going to be creating his own team. So there's three gaps on his team, and there seems to be three additional gaps. So where are those players coming from? I mean, this is the really interesting thing. So you can't think that Ram went right without having an idea of who was going to be on his team and i can't think for a second that they're going to sort of quote saddle john rahm with the promotions qualifiers so you have to you have to believe right that when they made the negotiations to bring rahm in they also were far along in negotiations to bring other high profile players in now i'm not saying they're going to be as high profile as rahm because rahm's in that top sort of five, ten percent, and and above that, actually, I mean, he's like generational talent, isn't he? He's just tremendous. But they are going to have to bring in players of the like of, say, Tyrrell Hatton, right, to mm. give him a good team because he's not going to come to live, is he, for the team format to then be to then have an. I have to be diplomatic how I say this: a team that is perhaps not of the caliber with which he would expect. I don't know. I mean, that's that's what I've written in my notes. I think it would be it would be really really good to get into be able to get into the sporting story and like get on board with that. Like the stuff you're saying, taking at face value, is like absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Like so, it if that is the narrative. So we've we've recruited John Rahm for an extortionate amount of money, and the ticket we've got him on is that he's now got a load of money to go and spend on whoever whomever he wants to sign from worldwide golf and he can do that from existing live players potentially or he can do it from uh, players from elsewhere that's like ridiculously exciting that's like fantasy golf kind of being played out in real life like who is John Rahm going to pick with a with an open checkbook that's like unbelievably cool but you have to you have you have to do a lot of switching off of your brain to allow that to be the story. So, do you genuinely think that part of the John Rahm negotiation is him sat there saying, "Right, I want budget to be able to sign X, Y, and Z players," or do you think he just wants says, "I want another twenty five million, please"? Well, I mean, if you believe the if you believe what you're being told that this is a partnership, is that, that's what Greg Norman says, isn't it? This is a partnership between John Rahm and Liv. Then you, then if you take that at face value, then you do have to say that it's not, it's not about another 25 million for Rahm. It's also about the possibility of shaping his future, um, whether that be through the players that he signs or whether that be through controlling and, uh, and uh, maintaining a team. Liv's thing is still, isn't it, that, that at some point, like big corporate brands are going to buy into the team structure. That's right, isn't it? I mean, that's still like, that's what they're basing is that these teams are going to become like Formula One 
enterprises um, and they're going to become entities on their own. And that potentially, if it ever happens, is from a monetary point of view, far more lucrative than a signing fee for who, I mean, for anyone except Ram. Um, that's potentially far more lucrative. And there is suggestion, isn't there, that it, the the introduction of Ram in particular with some of the links that he has to particular product manufacturers that this could be the the dawn of those companies sort of starting to move into live i don't know the truth of that or not but then that, you, then that brings its own that brings its own momentum doesn't it didn't explain that very well for, but you know no but, for, but you don't explain it very well because you don't understand it and neither do i that's the that is that is the thing here that i i think is getting gets lost in the live debate is that <laughs> Stick to football, stupid, right? We're, we're supposed to be people who talk about sport and talk about, is it sport that's worth watching? Is the kind of, is the story that's developing around live of genuine sporting interest? So you kind of, like the moral argument's lost, right? So you can just forget about that because people, everybody has demonstrated that they're quite happy to deal with the Saudis and the Saudi money um, if that is going to, be beneficial to their product, so that 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 kind of that has long gone as a thing, hasn't it? Um, and then other opposition to it, or other kind of question marks that people say are things like: Is it sustainable commercially? Is the amount of money distasteful? Again, I'm not entirely sure that's relevant because as soon as you kind of scratch the surface of things like is it sustainable, then you're starting to question the Premier League. It, and as soon as you scratch the surface of is the amount of money distasteful, the amount of money has been distasteful in professional sports since 1975. Like that's It's just not a thing anymore, is it? But if you kind of go back a step in what we're talking about here, is it exciting for a sports fan that one of the world's best golfers is now a team captain and might be able to sign some other um, of the world's best golfers? And if you ignore any of the other arguments about it, so is that sustainable? Does it work commercially? What about the damage to golf infrastructure? Is What about the moral argument? That is exciting, isn't it? Like totally taking at face value. I don't have any... Uh disagreement particularly with choice um so you know i'm not it doesn't worry me whether the pga tour is damaged or it doesn't particularly worry me if the dp world tour is damaged um what i am in in the sense of a golfing perspective um players moving between uh, different tours because i just think you should be able to play where you want frankly you know players are forever being told that when it counts that they're independent contractors right well here's the opportunity for them to actually prove it um and, and we see a lot of sports that are, that are struggling with this at the moment snooker's str- struggling with this which is a sport that i follow quite closely as well there's been um some kerfuffle in the game over exhibitions in the far east and how that relates to ranking events within the tours you know who is in control is it the tour or is it the players I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing going forward. Yeah, but I, I do too. But I just, I still think it's, I still think in terms of the debate around it, for the average sports fan, it's just not important. Like the, the, all of these phrases that pop up, like independent contractors, like no one had even thought of that before Liv arrived. The, a sports fan is not interested in any of this nonsense. All they're interested in is the sport good. Is the story around the sport good? 
So like I've got a season ticket at Man U and all of the players there have played a grotesque amount of money to come and turn out and barely any of them try. The football on display is terrible, but I still go because the narrative around it about oh, maybe today's going to the day they, they put in a performance, the sort of theatre of going to the football, the feeling of being part of something, that's why I go to football. I don't sit there and think, well, oh, bloody Rashford's on 350 grand a week and he's not even trying. That That sort of stuff is long gone because it's just the norm now. So when people are trying to sort of say, oh, the money's grotesque and it's it's destroying the sport. No, it's not. Like the Premier League was subject to all of these criticisms when it started. It's it's breaking the infrastructure of um, football in this country. It's, it's changing the game as we know it. And it's just been this enormous success. So I think for the sports fan, they're interested in sport because they feel an affinity to it because it brightens up their weekend. Um, and because it's something that they're incredibly passionate about, they're not bothered about the money and the moral argument and the the hierarchy of the game. It's just not a thing. I did um, enjoy your worries me story for your Manchester United side. You were what six in the Premier League, like <laughs> world's smallest violin playing just for you. But that, but that, but that is sort of my point, Steve. Like, so the the nonsense that's talked about Man United online, like the noise that's created around every time someone farts at Old Trafford or Carrington more likely, is not, it is not representative of the 75,000 people who turn up there every week or the three and a half million people who tune in to watch them on TV on a Sunday. Those people are turning up for the sport. They're not turning up because they want to know what Jaden Sancho said this week because he's a Mardi git. They're not turning up because they like Ten Hag's being questioned about his leadership. They're turning up because they love the club and they love going to the football and it's something they do with their family and they're they're into it for sport's sake. It's like it's a t- it's a totally different thing. And I think that that is relevant to the live debate because if you separate everything else from it and say okay is the sport interesting? That's the sort of debate that's worth having. And that's where where it would be really good if we could get to and live was sort of a genuine product that you could buy into and say, actually, this team format thing's pretty cool um, and it's something different from what we see elsewhere and I'm going to find a team to support that. Yeah, I can kind of get behind that. I just wonder wonder if we'll ever get to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So on the subject of whether we'll ever get there, the PJ Tour have suspended John Rahm yesterday, I think. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. Presumably it means he can't play in PJ Tour events, um, which is a, a sort of, an interesting kind of step to take, isn't it? Because over on the dear old DP World Tour, we are seeing live golfers kind of dip in and out when there is a non-competing event. And there's very little that the DP World Tour can do stop to do that, particularly when the events are co-sanctioned. So what what why can't these things just coexist? Because we haven't got an agreement yet. And when we get an agreement, which it, which we will, they will coexist. I, I don't read anything into the suspension of Ram at all. Um, they've done it with all of the other live players. There isn't an agreement in place yet, so they're just they're just carrying out existing protocol. In my opinion, um, this will end up getting sorted out, and Ram will end up playing again on some events on the PGA Tour. I don't know whether that'll be next year, um, but um, but I don't think this is a long term thing. I think I think it's very 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 likely you're going to see um, 
the live players playing some PGA Tour events at some point, as long as they've got, I mean, it's more difficult, isn't it, for those who don't have membership, for those who've resigned their membership and things like that. Um, but um, I think we'll see the top players flitting around. But for the for the purposes of discussion, like, why why does it need a deal? Like, why can't the two products just coexist? Well, because they've got to stay. I mean, I don't know enough about this, Tom, but but you know, but looking from on high without having done an enormous amount of research, it's because the organisations have decided that the two were at war, or did decide for a long, long time that the two were at war with each other, and that hasn't changed yet. All right, the legal routes have stopped. Um, but the PGA Tours position currently is the same as it was previously, and the DP World Tours position is the same as it was previously, which is they think lives harmful to the game. And until they sign a deal, that's, it, it, it's the sta- it's a status quo. We're in the sort of phony war period, aren't we? We live at the moment. Well, I think we massively are, yeah. But just again, don't particularly want to get into the sort of legal legal ramifications of it. I just want to sort of try and discuss like a world where live in the PJ tour and not in partnership they're just two separate products so if you if you if you make the comparison with football for example um where we have the premier league which the premier league will will tell you till they're blue in the face that it's the best football league in the world um and we have the championship so we have a league that feeds the premier league with promoted and relegated clubs um, but then outside of that, we also have equally good leagues in different parts of Europe and around the world. Um, and the, the best teams from the Premier League and those other leagues from around the world come together and play against each other in the Champions League. So surely there, there are sort of parallels for the, there being competing good in inverted product in good inverted commas products from other sports so if you viewed the Premier League as being the PJ Tour for argument's sake and something like La Liga as being live and the dear old DP World Tour as being the championship and the Champions League as being the majors where the best players come together four times a year five if you include the Ryder Cup I'm not sure what's wrong with that and the, the there's an awful lot of people at the moment in golf saying it's just a shame for the sports fan that we won't see the best players in the world competing against each other week in, week out. But we don't see that now. And I would argue that when we do see that in things like the FedEx series, then it becomes kind of like Groundhog Day because it's the same players we saw the previous week playing again. So it actually is there not an argument that says that the variety of it is good. The limited roster of the, the current live product means that they're only ever going to have 52 players or whatever. So they're not ever going to be able to take the entirety of the PGA tour to go and play on live. So if they did, if they did double down on the team aspect of it, you would end up with for people who want to watch 72 hole stroke play week in, week out, you would end up with that product on the PGA tour. The promotion and relegation between the PGA tour and the European tour has meant that there is now a sort of hierarchy to that, which is appealing to some and then you'd end up with an alternate product, which is three days of team golf for those who want to watch that and players who want to play in that type of format. So I think if you if you were able to like take everything else out of it, there's an awful lot of sense in having something that just coexists. Yeah, it's, my brain hurts. Um, it's incredibly. I mean, the, the team aspect of live is is still incredibly confusing. I don't I don't get the relevance of it yet. I'm sure that. I will in due course. I don't think I don't think it's explained particularly well. Um, I take your point um, on 
um, the various leagues. Uh, what I would say is outside. I mean, obviously they work with transfer fees, but there's no restraint of trade. Of you know, like Harry Kane can leave the Premier League to go and play for Bayern Munich, um, which is currently not what we've got in goal. For, but that's it? what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, why? It, it just seems very very strange. Like, so if you if you have this discussion um, about John Rams, they've just suspended him. Um, and then if you sort of have a dig into his schedule, so he's he's signed up to 14 or whatever live events is next year. Um, and then if you sort of map that against the PGA Tour events that they, those live events are up against, there's very little crossover in terms of John Rahm's 23 schedule versus his potential 24 schedule um, versus his live schedule. So... You've got Liv Cobra at the start of February, which is up against the AT&T, which he didn't play in. You've got a Liv event in Vegas, which is up against Phoenix, which he did play in. Uh, you've got Liv Saudi up against the Classic in Palm Beach, I don't know what that is, which Ram didn't play in. Hong Kong versus Puerto Rico didn't play in it. A Liv event in USA versus Texas didn't play in it. Adelaide versus um, the Zurich didn't play in it. Singapore versus CJ Cup didn't play in it. Houston versus Memorial did play in it. Nashville versus Rocket did play in it. Andalusia versus Scottish Open didn't play in it. JCB versus 3M didn't play in it. And Greenbrier versus Wyndham didn't play in it. So How many the, of those uh, elevated events now, though, which he would have had to have played in? They don't have to play in them, do they? And that I thought, is they, within, I thought that, they did. But that is like that is that is conflation of the point that I'm trying to make because that had to play in them. That is within the PGA Tour's gift. So at the moment, if they don't play in them, they get fined. And hilariously, like McElroy got fined like a million quid or something, didn't he, for not playing in one this year, and then merrily earned fifteen from his um, PIP bonus. So, but that is within the PGA Tour's gift, isn't it? They don't have to make them play in the elevated events. They're doing it because they think they have to keep the sponsors happy. But just to get back to the John Rahm point, like he, if if he was allowed to play um, in PJ Tour events that suited his schedule, at the moment there are three live events which opposed his schedule from last year. So I'm, I'm not saying he wants to play all the time. He, I think he played twenty events in um, 2023. But there is there is room for John Rahm to be able to turn up to three, four PGA events, PJ Tour events alongside his live schedule and his major schedule, surely that has to be better if you can say, well, I'm going to get him three or four times a year than going to war with him. I mean, obviously he would have um, played on the DP World Tour as well, wouldn't he, at various times in yeah. that schedule? I'm not sure how that will be affected. Um, presumably, until this is all sorted out, the DP World Tour will have the same line that they have for all of their other players, which means he'll face fines. Yeah, he will face fines. Yeah, but but, but that, that again is—I guess—that's not the point that I'm making. I'm trying to say what? that in a in a different way forward, where you just said, "Okay, look, fair enough. Lives here to stay. We can't come to a deal where we merge." I think there is a way forward where the things just coexist because I think there's enough difference between the products um, that will suit different players and suit different sponsors for all manner of reasons. Um, to to kind of sort of. To further that point, I think there's been an awful lot of criticism of Jay Monaghan. And again, I don't want to get too much into this because it's not about sport. But he, and people have said, oh, he should have handled this differently or he should have handled that differently. I think the fundamental thing that's gone wrong with the PGA Tour is they've bowed to player pressure to pay the very best players more money. Things like the PIP, which has obviously been 
was obviously brought in to, on demand of the better players saying they they thought they they deserved a bigger part of the pie. The PGA Tour is, is a members organisation which constitutionally is supposed to be creating playing opportunities for as many professional golfers as possible. And I think if it sticks to that and it ignores the noise at the very, very top end, then it will ultimately be a stronger organisation because it will it will be doing what it fundamentally sets out to do, which is create pathways for the next generation constantly of professional golfers. I think it's got too carried away with itself as an entertainment product. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that the spectacle of the best players always dominates, doesn't it? It is difficult for rank and file within a member's organisation if you're not one of the very, very best. That's not just that's not just golf. That's a lot of organisations as well. Um, the the PGA Tour could have dealt with Piff Live at a much earlier stage. Than they did. They've tried to take them on. They appear to have. Um, succumbed to the idea that they can't beat them. I don't know that for a fact. It's just it's just what I gather and now and now they're trying to deal with them, but they're dealing with them from a fundamentally weaker position than they might have been if they'd come to terms with them three or four years ago when they didn't see Piff as a threat. I, I mean yeah, I mean oh, the, the whole thing could definitely be handled differently. Just want to try and finish on this sort of case for kind of um mutual harmony with that which I think is possible without the need for a deal. So there's a lot of people saying that this kind of split is really bad for golf, as in that you're going to have players playing in different places, people aren't going to understand what they're watching, people sort of view it as a turn-off to the sport as a whole. Just, I just don't, I just don't understand that um, that line of argument. I mean, do you think that your average golfer is interested in run-of-the-mill tour events any more or less now than they were before? No. And I and I don't think your average golfer is that interested in tour golf anyway. Um, you know, I I spend a lot of time in clubhouses. I've, I've been members of lots of clubs. I can tell you that a lot of the clubhouses I go into, the golf isn't even on. The football is, um, and um, you know, uh, I don't see people spending large amounts of time debating the ins and outs of live or the ins and outs of the PGA Tour. They don't really talk about tour golf at all occasionally because of what i do for a living someone might ask me a question or what do you think about live but it's rare and it's just because it's just because they know i work in the industry it's not that they're that massively interested in it Uh, i think like like there's a lot of stuff written about you know has golf turned bad and it clickbaits well um and um and it gets people within that echo chamber agreeing and endorsing but you know i don't think the wider golf public the people who play golf on a saturday or a sunday are really that interested or that bothered about what happens on the dp world tour and the pga tour just look at the audience figures um for those i mean like you know if we say that there are I don't know. I mean, like, let's say, let's say in England there are eight hundred thousand golf club members, right? In England, it's about seven hundred ninety-two. The last count, um, they are the most committed golfers in England, right? They are they are spending thousands of pounds to play their hobby, right? So these are the people who are most engaged with golf. Are eight hundred thousand people in England watching PGA Tour and DP World Tour events? You know, is golf getting that kind of TV audience outside of the majors? 
No, because no. because the two things are different, you know, and and people and people treat them differently. Um, there is no there's no rabble rousing in the clubhouse about live and about PIF and about the PGA Tour. Despite what people will tell you about other aspects of club golf, I've never heard too many people wandering around in the clubhouse complaining about rollback or WHS. You know, people just turn up, play their golf, enjoy it, and go. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that that gets lost in in terms of this debate about oh, it's going to turn us all off to um, watching professional golf. I think in the most part that no one was ever turned onto it. That's what I think. That's what I think is. Um, that's what I think is lost in the online but, debate. You said this earlier on, and and golf got golf. The, the way we watch golf is the perfect example of it. We watch we watch the like. Uh, I work in the industry, right? I don't watch a lot of tour golf week to week. I don't watch it. I'm not massively interested in it. Um, but I will turn up and I will watch the Ryder Cup and I will watch the Solheim Cup and I will watch the four majors and I might watch the play. No, I will watch the players um, and I might watch something like Bay Hill um, because of all the tradition with it. If Tiger's playing or Rory's playing, it might pique my interest if Ram was playing as well. JT, Jordan Spieth, there's half a dozen players that if they're, if they're playing in an event, I might switch on to watch because I'm interested in watching them perform. But outside of that, I'm not really that bothered. You know, I'm not spending my Sunday evening watching the Shriners children open. Sorry, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really not. Um, you know, I might watch the Pebble Beach, Tom, because it's Pebble Beach. I might watch the the event at Riviera because it's the course that interests me. But that I'm, that's pretty niche, right? That's because I'm interested in golf courses. Lots of other people are not in the same way that I am and wouldn't switch on an event for that. So the idea that, the idea that we're all like gutted and this is going to like ruin the game and oh my god golf is over because john rahm has signed 600 million i mean it, it might that might excite commentators and it might provide a talking point and it's something it's something we can write about as an industry nothing wrong with that but i think it like at the grassroots is 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 the is the, the, the guy or girl who comes on a Saturday morning to play a round of golf, tortured about the fact that John Rahm's gone to live, thinking that that's it, the game's over, and how can they ever tee up the ball again? No. No, I'm sorry. I don't agree with it. Yeah, I think like you've absolutely ruined the structure of my debate, but anyway, I'll let you off because you made some very good points. I think um, I think the, the first thing to pick up from what you said is that the golf, I think, is a participation sport more than anything. Like, that is... That is when you get this hand wringing online saying that golf is broken and um, millions of people are going to be turned off um, from golf as a thing because of what's happening and because of the amount of money that John Rahm's been paid and blah, 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 blah. I just don't think it's true. I think if you look at the numbers of people who play versus people who watch golf versus other sports, then the comparison is really, really stark. So if you take the US as an example. So 25 million people play golf in America. That is an awful lot of people. Um, the Honda Classic attracts about 2.3 million viewers. So let's say that's broadly 10% of participants have tuned in to watch the Honda Classic. If you compare that with NFL, 17.5 million people watch the NFL on a weekend. 
right? So that's an awful lot of people versus the amount of people who play tackle football, so American football on an amateur level is about 5 million. So four times more people watch than play American football. And in golf, it's 10 times more people play than watch. So this, we're just not a sport of that's viewed hugely by its participants. So we're talking about a very, very small amount of the interest in the game is from watching it rather than playing it. And I think that is certainly my, the way that I sort of consume my golf is by doing it um, rather than by watching it. I'd say I'd watch a similar amount of DP World Tour golf as I do championship football. I'll watch it if I know, if there's someone that I know that's in contention and I definitely have it on in the background in my house, but I wouldn't sit there and watch it all day. Um, And I would say that with the PGA Tour, like like you said, I'm interested in some of the higher profile events. I'm interested in looking out for major form in the run up to the Masters. Um, and I'm apart from that, I'm not really sure I sit down and tune into it. Apart from the fact it's on a convenient time, and I think that convenient time point is huge for golf. And I think that that is one of the, the my strongest arguments with Liv is that I'm not sure anything changes it until the space to watch it. Like I'm not going to avoid watching Liv. I don't think I don't see that Liv's on a weekend and think, right, there's no bloody way I'm watching that. I'm, out, I'm not in the habit of watching it and it doesn't fit into my schedule, whereas a Sunday night watching the PGA Tour does because there's nothing else to do, whereas the Desert Golf does because it's on first thing in the morning when you wake up. We've just listed the events that Live Golf is going to be up against from a PGA Tour point of view. I have to go out of my way to fit Live into my schedule if I want to watch it. I just don't think that's going to happen for an awful lot of people. So I think that if you if you if you are talking about how do you get more eyeballs on the product, and if that is something you think is important for golf, then it needs to have its own room. The same is true as of women's golf. One of the reasons women's golf can't get off the ground from a viewing point of view is because there's too much other stuff to watch, not least other men's golf. So I think that you can argue until you blew in the face about is the quality of the product right? What about the quality of the field? I'm not sure for your average sports fan, it matters. They just need to be in the habit of watching it and there needs to be space for it in the schedule. And I'm not sure either of those things is true at the moment. Um, so I think the the kind of the case for and the case against um, the two products kind of living in harmony, like there's an awful lot of cases for. The case against, I guess, is to do with the PGA Tour being unable to generate sponsorship dollars if it keeps losing its players. My feeling is that that's, in many ways, it's sort of self-perpetuating because the more that the PGA Tour compete with Liv, the more Liv are going to pay people loads of money to go and play on Liv, the more the PGA Tour can't compete. So I think deal or no deal, the PGA Tour ought to accept that it exists and get on with the new parameters. It's not going anywhere, is it? Well, unless unless Liv's financial backers decide it's going somewhere and it appears to me that with with the John Rahm signature, at least they're signalling very clearly um, to everyone else in golf that they're here for the long term. Yeah, so I just yeah, so I, I'm sort of reaching a point I think in this whole debate where I think that whether there is or there isn't a deal, you have to accept that Live is becoming a viable product. It's definitely different and it's definitely interesting to some people, uh, and certainly younger golfers who are into the team element. It's free to view. And I think the more you can make it different from the PGA Tour, the better it is for Liv, but also the better it is for the PGA Tour. Let people choose where they want to play and they'll probably end up playing a bit of both, won't they? Um, so I think then you're just into like, does it does this really matter for lots of people? And I think that 
we kind of have been through the amount of people who play golf versus the amount of people who watch golf. And there there are loads and loads of figures that kind of that show that people even even for the biggest events, um all of the people who play golf are not tuning in for them. So if you take the Ryder Cup numbers, for example, they were they were the biggest ever viewing figures for golf on Sky Sports and it peaked at 750,000 pound 750,000 people a day which is less than participation in the game so there are fewer yeah. people watching the biggest event than there are playing it yeah i mean there's there's caveats to be said there i mean i i, w- I would imagine that if if the Ryder Cup was on terrestrial television it would get a bigger audience i mean obviously you know to have sky you, you have to pay a subscription um and there are some people who will not pay the subscription for various reasons, some of it because they don't want to. I mean, it would be it would be interesting to see, and, 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 and the governing bodies have, have done this to a certain point. You know, I mean, Martin Slumbers gets asked the question every year at his RNA press conference, like, why won't you bring the Open back to terrestrial television? I mean, he's, so, the audience on the BBC was massive compared to the audience on Sky. Um, so you, I think you do have to take into account subscription costs um against terrestrial costs but i do i I do take the point your general point which is that um in terms of golf at least people want to participate in it more than they want to watch it and i understand why that is you know like even as a purist golf can be from week to week quite a tough watch um it is not the most exhilarating of sports it moves slowly um it is fractions of a second of action you know there's not the sweeping speed of something like football uh, or or to use other sports you know i mean you you talked about you talked about the nfl the nfl is a very stop start sport but when it moves it moves fast um golf tends to glide serenely along um it's always felt for me tom to be something that's on in the background for me unless it's something like the open or unless it's something like the Ryder cup it's something that's just on rather than it's something that i'll spend an evening engaging with and you can't say that about i think about a premier league football game for for instance that's something that the spectator engages me with from minute one to minute 100 but i I don't i don't disagree but like I, i i still think that is fundamentally not the point like Golf is a participation sport because you can still play it when you're our age and when you're older than us, right? And you can play it when you're eight years old or you can play it when you're 80 years old. That's why it's a participation sport. Um, And the fact that people are out playing golf for four hours instead of sat in front of a telly watching golf is the thing we should be celebrating. So I think when we discuss this podcast, what I think the message we wanted to get across is that golf as a game is not dead or golf as a game is not in a bad place because live exists or because John Rahm's gone to live. That might be upsetting for people who spend their lives on Twitter and watching golf on TV. It is not upsetting for the vast majority of golfers and it is not upsetting for the game because the the game is healthy if more people are playing it. The whole point of sport is to get out there and do it, right? And if you are going to watch sport, then the, the joy of watching sport is doing something that you feel connected to, that you do with your family, that you do with your friends. It's not because you you can't, because you're upset because a golfer's going to earn more money somewhere else. That's not what it's about at all. No, and, and participation figures remain extremely strong. Um 
membership uh, membership in some areas might be very very slightly on the decline now um but a very very slight decline in one of the worst cost of living crises we've seen for the best part of a century um is um is still something to be celebrated i think you can you can argue about the construction of golf uh in terms of whether the people who play it are more um what's the word i'm looking for more insured against sort of cost of living crisis that that perhaps is not the case for other sports but you know by the by huge numbers of people are playing it record numbers of rounds um recorded on brs you know the, the sport continues to be in a massively good place from a participation point of view post covid yeah which is the thing we should be talking about and the thing we should be celebrating and the, that is where the crying shame in this lies is that the kind of the benefits of playing the game and the joy that people get from playing the game and that being celebrated is what is getting lost in this debate and if there is something depressing about the amount of money that's been spent on John Rahm is that that dwarfs the amount of money that people are willing to invest in the grassroots game where we still need better facilities we still need more divergent facilities we still need people um in inner cities to have much better access to the game. Wouldn't it be amazing for golf as a whole if that money was being spent on projects that got golf clubs in more people's hands more often? That is the that is the one thing about this whole story that is depressing for me is that yeah. the money could be so better diverted. Yeah, that that is always the case, but that's the case across all sports as well. I mean, you know, you you hear people complaining in very similar terms about the Premier League and grassroots football and the amount of money that's spent there. I mean, you, you can you can always have that debate, can't you? You can. Have we finished this debate, Steve? I believe it's come to a natural conclusion. Golf is not broken. Don't worry. Don't don't cry. Don't like. Don't turn up at your clubs thinking this is the end. Um, it's all right, WHS. It's all right. The rollback. Nothing. It'll it'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Just play the game. It'll be fine. Still the same game. Um, I feel like that was an awful lot of me talking and you going, yes, I agree. But I think to finish up, as we head into 2024, more people playing golf than ever before. It's an exciting year ahead of majors that will all still be there for you to enjoy. We'll be back with our first season of the NCG Golf Podcast in January. Have a great Christmas. See you on the other side. Season's greetings to you all and a prosperous new year.